Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. Good morning. Who all got to come to the volunteer cookout last night? Yeah, wasn't it a great time? It was awesome. Wow, you guys are acting like it was really awesome. Whoa, okay, yeah, it was, it was great. And if you weren't there, we're sorry that you're a loser and couldn't come. Just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My name is Joe and I'm one of the leaders here at Renaissance and I like to eat. That, that gets a clap. And because I like to eat, I also like to cook sometimes. And I like to cook sometimes because it's one of the only times that I really get to feel creative, like, like taking different ingredients and putting them together that maybe they don't belong together and then making something. Maybe you have a different word than creative for the things I would cook. But for me, I get to feel creative. But because I'm a bachelor, ladies, I don't, <laughs> I don't cook a lot. I don't get to cook a lot, even though I enjoy cooking. I spend a lot of time eating out. I spend a lot of time eating, eating with friends. So I don't get to do this thing that I enjoy a lot. But last week, I got the opportunity to travel to Virginia. The denomination we're a part of, Foursquare, has a retreat center that pastors can go and stay in an apartment, a fully furnished apartment for one week. So I took advantage of that, and I, I spent a week in this apartment and every day I made it a point as part of my refreshment, the refreshment of my mind to cook for myself, breakfast and dinner. I went to Kroger every day and got something different and, and I've been trying to eat a little bit healthier too. And so every morning I got up and, and made myself some bacon and eggs. Now that doesn't sound real healthy, but normally I would have toast and potatoes and gravy. Oh. <laughs> and biscuits, oh, but I just made myself some bacon and eggs every morning. And most of the time when I cook eggs, I just scramble the eggs because there's a sweet spot. I love eggs over easy, but there's a sweet spot of when you stick that spatula underneath them and go to flip them because there's a moment where, where the, the yolk could slide right off and break in the pan and now you've just got fried eggs. There's a moment that if you, if you turn it too late, you might have eggs over medium, and I don't want those. I might as well boil the egg or scramble the egg. I like eggs over easy, but I don't get to make them that often because there's a right time to flip the egg. It was also the first time I'd ever cooked on like a griddle pan, and because it was my first time cooking on a griddle pan, I didn't know much about this. Apparently, you're supposed to like grease it down and make it non-sticky first, so I just throw the eggs 
onto the griddle pan and turn away to grab my bacon and all of a sudden I've got burnt eggs instantly on that because I didn't know how to cook the eggs right. There's a right way and a wrong way to cook the eggs. There's a, a right time and a wrong time to flip the eggs so that you have the eggs over easy. Needless to say, I never got eggs over easy <laughs> while I was on my trip. It was scrambled eggs or that one day fried eggs because I'm very poor at determining when the right time is to flip the eggs. And there really is a right time and a wrong time for everything in life. The Bible actually alludes to this in the book of Ecclesiastes, just to begin, it says in chapter three, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. Y'all thought that was the birds who wrote that song. It was actually the Holy Spirit. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose. It goes on a little bit longer. There's a right time and a wrong time for everything. And what we see here as we're continuing today our study in the book of 1 Peter, that there are some things that the people Peter is writing to encountered that are different than what we encountered today. And we would look back on those things and say that they were appalling and terrible and disgusting, but for their lifetime, they were a normal part of life. And as we flip through the pages of history, we see where those things were actually undone because there is a right time and a wrong time for everything. Peter is writing to people who are one, oppressed by a government the Roman emperor who hates Christians and seeks to persecute them and kill some of them, torture many of them. And we look at that and we say that's terrible and that's wrong. We must understand that their government oppression is much different than government oppression that we experience or perceive to experience. We don't want the government to tell us things like who we can and cannot marry or whether or not we can and cannot own guns. The government was telling them, if you worship Jesus, you will lose your life. Now I get it. I once drove for several months without renewing my license plate sticker because it's none of the state's business what kind of car I drive, okay? So, so I get it, I, I understand feeling like big brothers watching us and oppressing us, but any kind of oppression we feel like we experience from the government is nothing compared to the brutalities heaped upon these Christians by the Roman emperor Nero. Secondarily, they were living in a culture where there are things that we look at and today and say that they're detestable, but at their time, they were a large part of their life, one being slavery. Now, their slavery that they had at that time is different from what we consider as slavery. In fact, at that time, a, a slave could actually purchase their freedom from their master. Either way, whether a slave could purchase their freedom from their master or not, it's still disgusting and detestable. But for them, it was part of their economy, and they had no foresight to consider that there could be any change in their life. 
And so we go to read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. If you have a Bible and want to go ahead and turn there, that would be great. If you don't have a Bible, underneath the seats around you, a hardback black Bible, you can turn to page 1015. We'll also put the words up on the screen for you. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Notice he makes a distinction between human institutions and divine institution. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, remember who the emperor at the time is, Nero, who is, who is lighting the garden near his palace at night with the bodies of impaled Christians that he sets aflame or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor, the cruel, evil Roman emperor Nero. Verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When Jesus suffered, he did not threaten the people who were causing his suffering, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, his heavenly father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep, going astray. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Notice how Peter never gives any correction or instruction for these human institutions, the cruel Roman government or the cruelty of slavery. He never gives any instruction or rebuke about them. They were eventually confronted in history. We see this. And when I first read this, my, my thought went to, Peter, why aren't you calling out the evils of these things? Why aren't you taking this opportunity to encourage the church that these things are evil and you should stand up against them? Why didn't Peter do that? And I believe it's because there's a right time and a wrong time for everything to happen. Everything has a season. We know eventually those things were confronted, but we'll read on that Peter is more concerned that Christians look in their own hearts and that we confront our own issues before we seek to change the world around us and direct our energies toward systemic evil institutions that exist in the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for your word, the Bible. We're so thankful that we get to understand and, and know and hear and believe who you are from what we read in its pages. I pray that you would speak to us today through it that you would encourage us to understand more about your son, Jesus, and that you would cause us to grow in our love for him. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
in the late 18th century, there was a, a young member of the British Parliament who was converted to Christianity. And when he was converted to Christianity, he began to give himself to many Christian disciplines and devotions. He joined several Bible studies. He began to pray for many hours of the day. He engaged in lots of charity work. His life was truly changed by his conversion to Christianity and by becoming a follower of Jesus. And he approached one of his friends and said, I'm considering leaving parliament. I'm considering leaving my place in the government of the United Kingdom because I feel like I can direct my efforts more towards the work of Christ. And this friend encouraged him to stay in parliament. He said, do you not realize what a wonderful opportunity you have that you, a member of the parliament, have been converted to Christianity. You've become a follower of Jesus. So the way Jesus has changed your life, you can now take those things that you've learned from God and perhaps bring them into the parliament. This man's name was William Wilberforce. Some of you may be familiar of, with him, but he's the person who's considered the catalyst for ending slavery in the United Kingdom. It was, it was his work that he did while staying in the parliament that caused the government to realize it is cruel and evil and unchristlike for one human to own another person. And all of that happened because his life was changed by the gospel. I found it interesting that his first work as a new believer in Jesus was not to immediately go to his job as a member of parliament and say, now I need to take all that I know about Christ and change the government. His first work was to in fact work on his own heart and try really hard to root out the issues that were in his own life. Many of the things I read about him, I think he went overboard in some of his devotion and some of the extremities that he went to to become a more devoted follower of Jesus. But I think we could look at his life and take a good example because this man thought it was best to work on his own issues before attempting to change the world. It's really easy to give our energy to changing the world around us and trying to change problems that are happening around us while neglecting our own heart and neglecting the own sin and the own problems and the own issues and our own inconsistencies that we each can experience. The truth is that God wants to infiltrate these human institutions with the gospel. He wanted to end slavery. He wanted to use William Wilberforce to do that, but he doesn't do it by changing the institutions themselves. He does it by changing the individuals who are part of those institutions. That's how God changes the world, is he changes people first, not the institutions that are part of it. And here's the reality, and I hate to break it to you all, because it was difficult when it was broken to me, but, but none of us are going to change the world. None of us are going to change the world. And let's come to grips with this for a moment. I'm a millennial. I'm sorry. I'm a millennial. And my generation gets a really bad rap. Some of it is deserved, but some of it is not. And here's why. Because the preceding generations told my generation 
that I could be anything I wanted to be. I could do anything I wanted to do. And when I was 20 years old, I thought I could take on the world. I wanted to start a church. Then I started working for a church plant and I said, I don't want to start a church. <laughs> okay, I thought I could do anything. And then as you go on into your 20s, having been told you can do anything you want to, you can change the world. The world is yours. Anything you want to do. The song from Reedy Rainbow, I can do anything. <laughs> I can go anywhere. And then I take a look in the book of my life by the time I'm 28 and realize I'm not changing anything. And now into my 30s, I'm well aware that the only thing I can change possibly is me, and that's a really difficult work in and of itself. None of us are going to change the world. This should be really good news to us, though, because some of us carry the burdens of the world on our shoulders, and we think it's our responsibility to change the world. And so we give lots of energy and, and, and lots of mental work into the problems that surround us and the problems that the people around us are enduring. And we take them upon ourselves and we carry these things that the Bible refers to as burdened. It's like the pack you would throw on the back of a mule. And none of us as humans are strong as a mule and we cannot bear those burdens. And eventually we find ourselves breaking because we try to take on things that we cannot change. We try to take responsibility for something we can't do anything about. None of us are going to change the world. So let that be a sigh of relief because we don't have to. We don't have to. I have my own issues to change. I have the, my own things around me that I get to affect by the way I live my life. You have your own things around you that you get to affect by the way you live your life. And we all together could change the world by a war of attrition in a sense, but not because each one of us are going to do something so great that the entire world changes. Unless you're Steve Jobs. iPhone anyone? No, but seriously, none of us are going to change the entire world. And hear me out before you judge what I'm about to say, okay? Jesus did not even change the entire world. <gasps> Everyone gasps because that's crazy. Now we know that he changed the world. He's changed all of our lives, those of us who follow him, because he went to a cross and he was crucified for our sins and he rose from the dead. In fact, we measure time from his birth now in the West. We know that he did change the world, but there's a story in the book of Matthew where a woman approaches him. It's in Matthew chapter 15. A woman approaches him, a woman from Canaan, and she comes out to Jesus and says, have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, this woman is from the region of Canaan, which is not the region where the Israelites, the majority of them, are living at that time. She says, my, son, my daughter is oppressed by a demon and I want you to rescue her. But Jesus did not answer her a word. He kept walking. It almost seems like he's being a jerk to her, really, if we're being honest. He just keeps walking, and his disciples had to come and beg him, saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. And he answered to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're from Canaan, and I know that. My mission on this earth right now 
is to help the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus realized that while he was on the earth, his mission while he was living and ministering in the land of Israel was to help the Jewish people see and understand who God really was. And this woman from another land comes to him and tries to divert him from his mission to change her world. And Jesus says, I can't do that. I have another mission to do. Now, if you go on and read the story, you find that he actually did heal her daughter and had compassion on her because she had great faith. And I think he's trying to teach us in that, that people are more important than our ideas and some of our convictions. That's a different story for another day. But he did go on and help her. But the point is, each one of us have our own specific mission and directive in life. And not all of us None of us are going to change the entire world because there's a right time and a wrong time for all of us to do something. Jesus eventually has changed the world. Jesus eventually has changed all of our lives when we go to believe in him and decide to follow him. But God is not asking any of us to change the world. But he is encouraging us to seek how our own lives might be changed and to look within ourselves and to consider the, the issues in our own hearts. I mentioned earlier that I had the opportunity to travel to Virginia and stay in this retreat facility. And while I was there, I got a lot of time to read and relax and be alone. I'm, I'm an extreme extrovert. So for some of you, that sounds wonderful to be alone in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. But when I uh, got to uh, the big city, I went to Nashville on my way back. When I saw the city lights of Nashville, that took my breath away. Not the mountains in Virginia, because there's people in the city. So I'm here by myself, languishing as an extrovert, all alone, not having a lot of energy to do lots of things. But while I was there, I had plenty of time to read and pray and reflect on my life. And, and as someone who works in a church, as a pastor, I find often that, that people will come to me for uh, advice or counseling, or they'll have questions about the Bible or whatever. And I'm expected to have either an answer or to know who to direct them to where they can get help, which is more often than not what happens. And what happens in that is that it's easy for myself and Pastor Jeff and Stacy that they they and I, it's easy for us to neglect our own care because we're busy taking care of the needs of others. And, and we don't despise that at all. In fact, we signed up for it. Like it says in The Godfather, this is the business we've chosen and this is what we will do. But it's so easy for us to neglect looking within and caring for our own selves. And while I was in Virginia, I had plenty of time to just hang out with Joe and there were plenty of things that I saw, and, and I'm beginning to make a list while I'm there of things. Yep, you need to change this, Joe. Yep, you need to seek counseling for this, Joe, and all kinds, all kinds of things. We have to look within before, before we turn to others and, and seek to help other people. We, we lead best from experiences that we've had where we've watched God change our own hearts. It's important that we do that. Those, those of us who don't have a, a platform or resources to, to confront the systemic injustices in our society, and there are systemic injustices in our society, 
those of us who don't have the resources to confront them and, and we don't have a platform to speak into them should not try to do so because our voice would instantly be silenced. We lose credibility. And if one day we do get a platform to speak into them, we won't be heard because we've already lost our opportunity. While we don't have a platform or the resources to speak into the evils of our society, we certainly have the time and the resources to look into the evils within our own heart and consider our own inconsistencies and perhaps confront the systemic sin that lives within us. So instead of focusing on the evils of the world around me, I can focus on how I am impatient with the people that I'm closest to. Instead of looking at the world and being troubled with it, I can focus on the things that I can change about Joe. I can focus on the issues that that Joe has and that he can confront. So Peter, finally getting to the Bible, verse 13, Peter helps us understand that the issues are not with these human institutions, but with the individuals who are a part of it. He says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Notice that he says it's for the Lord's sake that we be subject to every human institution. And when we keep that in mind, it's so much easier to do something as a follower of Jesus if we consider that we're doing it for the Lord's sake. And because it's for the Lord's sake, we have to understand that it's not about me. It's not for my sake that I'm being subject to these institutions. It's not for others' sake. It's for the Lord's sake that we would be subject to them, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, verse 14, 15, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. My mom used to always tell me, Joe, there's ignorant people out there. She has a little bit of a drawl in her voice. She only comes from Southern Illinois. I don't understand how that works. There's, there's ignorant people out there, Joe. And you got to know that they just don't know and they do foolish things. And Peter says, there's ignorant people out there and they're going to look and seek to malign us as Christians. They're going to look and seek to malign the gospel of Christ. They're going to look for ways that they can point the finger at the church, the Bible and Jesus and say that they're what's wrong with the world. And the only way for us to combat that is by living good lives so that by doing good, we would put them to silence. They don't know. They're ignorant. They don't understand the truth of the gospel. We can't be angry at them. They just don't know. If they would only catch a glimpse of who Jesus was, I'm convinced that if people just catch a glimpse of understanding about who Jesus really is, they'll latch onto him. And maybe not in the same way, and maybe it won't look like wholehearted devotion to him, but they'll begin to want to follow him the rest of their lives if they would just catch a glimpse of him. And we can help them to see Jesus by the good we do in the world more than the trouble we stir. Peter says, keep a good reputation wherever you go and live as people who are free. This is important for us. This is the the 
the linchpin of the gospel that Jesus has set us free from our sins, not only from the punishment of our sins, but we also don't have to be bound in the lifestyle of our sins anymore. Now, many of us would say that we have sins and inconsistencies in our life whereby we know that we're doing wrong, but the reality of the gospel is that we are free people who believe in Jesus. We're free from the punishment of our sins and we're free to live righteously, if we would have faith in Christ, that that is the true life that he has given to us. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. It's, it's always the right time to live as though you're serving God in everything you do. And that's easy to say. I want to serve God in everything I do, but I I want us to think now about the boss that we have or have had who we absolutely hate. It's the guy from Office Space, if you've ever seen it. He comes up and he hovers over the desk and says, if you could get that done, that'd be great. (laughs) And passive-aggressively harms us and upsets us, hurts our feelings, maybe active aggressively harms you and upsets you and hurts your feelings. And Peter says, why don't you live as though you're serving God? And so consider everything that you're asked to do in a a position of work that you absolutely hate. If you can think about what you're doing as actual service to God, it puts purpose to your work. Even if you feel like your work is purposeless. Maybe you have a customer that you can't stand. Just as a little practical thing, if you have a customer you can't stand, you can fire your customer. (laughs) If you own your own business, that is. If you work at Walmart and you have a customer you can't stand, you can't do that because you'll lose your job. But (laughs) if you have a customer you can't stand, if you think about serving them as though you're serving God, it puts a whole different spin on everything you do. I've had some jobs that that pay pretty badly in my life, and I've had some jobs that have some work that's pretty nasty to do, and pretty difficult, and pretty, pretty hard. And I've worked with people who are difficult and hard, but when I was very young, this verse was kind of drilled into me, that, that in everything you do, live as though you're serving God. And it somehow miraculously made much of my work easier to do when I considered what I was doing was actually for God. More so than my paycheck, more so than the happiness of the people around me. It was as though I was serving the Lord himself. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And there are many injustices in the world. There are many injustices in our workplace. There are many injustices that we encounter amongst one another. And Peter says, if we keep mindful of God and consider what is my conscience telling me to do in this? Because that could, in fact, be the voice of God telling you to do the right thing, telling me to do the right thing. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He says, none of us should be known as people who are in trouble because we've done wrong. We should be known as people who are in trouble because we've done 
good. I shouldn't be known as someone who refused to change his license plate sticker. I should be known as someone who joyfully and gladly said hello to the DMV people. Verse 21, for this you ha- to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. This is, this is what God wants for us, that we would follow in the footsteps of Christ. If we're, to, if we're to see any change in our own lives, which many of us would agree, there are things that we all look at and we look within and we see that we want to change, it will only be because we're following Jesus. It will only be because we're seeking to do what he wants us to do. And as we do that, we mature and grow into an understanding of things that are good for us and things that are bad for us. A friend of mine was telling me that he was in a candy store the other day. Well, it was a grocery store. I like to imagine it's just a candy store, a grown adult going into a candy store. (laughs) He's a grocery store in the candy aisle, and he looked at all the candy, and he said, I could buy all of this right now, all of this candy. And if you think back to when you were a child, how much of a dream that would have been to be able to buy all the candy that you wanted... And now as adults, we go into the grocery store, we see the candy and we're like, no, I don't want to see, don't show me that. And then we buy it anyway. But, <laughs> but there's something about maturing that changes our desires and changes the way that we spend our resources and changes the way that we direct our energy. And as we follow in Christ's footsteps, we mature and we grow in our faith. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Here's the difference between Jesus and you and I. He committed no sin. So, So in all of this, let's have some mercy on ourselves because we do commit sin. Jesus committed no sin, but we do commit sin. And so in following him, we will trip and we will go off the path and we will divert ourselves from where we know the Lord is leading us But, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten for our sake. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he himself, verse 24, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. We're going to have moments where we mess up and stumble and trip and fall. And we're not going to to make it. The most important thing is not that our lives would change. The most important thing is that we would just have faith in Jesus and just believe in him. He died. He suffered. He bore our sins on the cross. And as we follow him, there will be moments where we sin again. There will be moments where we do things that harm others. There will be moments where we fail to live as though we're actually serving God in all of our work. We're not going to be perfect. And God's not calling us, any, any of us, to become perfect. But if he says, if you just follow my son, all of your sins are forgiven. You're free from the guilt and punishment that belongs to you because of them. Jesus has set you free from all of that. Just follow him. He has healed you of your sins by his wounds. So that, verse 24, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
He wants us to become more like him, knowing that none of us will do that completely here on earth. And so in his mercy, he's washed all of our sins away. Verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And those of us who are followers of Jesus and love him would say that when we did not know him, our lives seemed as though they were chaos. Our lives seemed as though they were headed on a path of destruction and we seemed like we were straying. But now coming to know Jesus and have faith in him and understanding who he is and his gospel, we understand that he is the good shepherd who wants to lead our lives. He's the good overseer of our souls. There's no one greater who can oversee our lives than Jesus. And, and I, I cannot but wonder, and I, in fact, I actually hope that there are people in the room who, who have not, quote unquote, returned to Jesus, the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And if that is you, if you're here and you're one of those people who don't believe in Jesus, we're really glad that you're here. Actually, we're honored that you would come. We do a lot of the things that we do here. So people who don't believe in Jesus, but might want to know something about the truth and come to a church would feel comfortable here. And we're glad that you're here. But I, I would hope that you would hear and feel the encouragement of Peter that if you would, if you would go to Jesus, if you would look to Jesus, you'd find the care of a good shepherd one who, though you feel like you're straying, will not let your life be destroyed. And though you feel like your life is off track, he will come and he can rescue you from the destructive path that you're on. If you feel like you don't know what to do in life and you're directionless, Jesus is a great overseer of our souls. And we want you to come and believe in him. The band is gonna return very soon. And during that time, we're going to have a few moments where, where we're going to get to pray and worship God again. They're gonna play a few more songs. And, and while they're doing that, I wanna encourage all of us that we would one, worship Jesus. And two, that we would consider whether, whether or not we need to return to him. Even if we are a follower of Jesus, there are many of us who, as I said, we get off the path. And maybe you're so far off the path right now that you're not even looking to where Jesus is at and you're not following him at all. I want to encourage us that this morning is a time that we can return to him. There will be people out in the gallery who want to pray with you. They're here this morning. That's part of their job here this morning is to pray with people here. And they, they want to pray with you and care for you. And they won't judge you. They won't think anything poorly of you. They just want you to know the love of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for the love of Jesus. We're so thankful that we have you to turn to, that we have you to look to, that, that you are a great shepherd and overseer of our souls. And I pray that as we, as we seek for you to lead us and guide us, that we would 
that we would also listen to what you're saying to us. That we would also be obedient to follow you into the steps that you're taking us. Pray that you would help us to see and understand your love and in knowing that, come to love you even better. We thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.